Derek asked me um, uh, a couple of days ago to share a bit about the Holy Spirit and, and his role, I guess, in my life and in relation to Romans um, 8, 1 to 14. Um, I guess when I think of the gospel and the plan and action of the Father, it's never separate from the, the Son and the Holy Spirit. They're always working together. Um, there's not one work from the Father that isn't with the, the Son and with the Spirit. Um, they work in conjunction and vice versa. They're all working together. Um, sometimes we miss what the Spirit is doing. Um, the biggest acts that I see the Holy Spirit doing is the acts of revealing, confronting, comforting, convicting, and giving understanding and wisdom to the Scriptures and the work of Christ. And uh, Derek and I um, have been reading lately a biography um, written about a guy that basically uh, was the founder of a group that was hugely instrumental in our understanding of the gospel and, uh, I guess, um, instrumental in our Christian faith. Um, but one, one reoccurring action that I experienced and what I've heard others mention and what I've also read in the scriptures is that of the Holy Spirit's work in revealing the depravity of sin and the extent of it and that we can't deal with it. So that depravity of sin, um, yeah, that's just huge. That was, I guess, if you've heard my testimony, that was the thing that uh, impacted me, was just to see my sin. And yet it's a twofold action. Firstly, this confronting of this huge amount of sin um, that we all have, and secondly, at the same time, almost simultaneously, is the unbelieving, un- unbelievable, overwhelming amount of love. And um, that infilling of joy and peace and the understanding of God's acceptance of us. Which is stupid, really, in the human mind, to have those two together. How can somebody who's pointing the finger at us going, I saw that, and I saw that. And I saw you do that over there. And there's this. And there's all this stuff that you've done wrong. And I know it all. And I see it all. And then in the same breath and the same thought, there is relief because we know that we've been accepted and loved by the Father. With all those failings, and there will never be a time when those failures will be shoved in our face. And there will never be a time when he says, nah, your list's too long. Sorry, I'm going to have to let you go. In fact, this amazing creator, the Father, in his mercy and his grace and his love, wants us to trust in a way that isn't our works and our strength, a way that gives all glory to him, a way that our human minds aren't wired for. This is what we're wired for. We're wired for you get what you deserve and God helps those who help themselves. And this revealing and understanding is the Holy Spirit at work, pointing out our sin and yet in the same breath going, but there's this amazing Father who loves you and has chosen you to be his child. I want you to picture this. You're going about your daily grind, 
You've had some pretty significant relational stuff-ups. You've got a load of cancel culture, meaning you treat me bad, stuff you. That's, you know, just cancel you out. You feel the sideways looks and eyebrow raises. You never feel worthy or accepted, just not quite good enough. And you spend most of your days trying to hide your failure and avoid painful people. And you try to resurrect your life with some things that make your life somewhat worthwhile. You hear of people having a hope in something beyond this daily grind and you have heard about a Messiah who is to come. You don't know what that means, but there must be a hope somewhere. Got to be something more to life than this daily grind and guilt. And then all hell breaks loose and someone breaks into your life and like a broken record replays all your past, your painful wrongs, but at the same time tells you that even though you're unaccepted, a dirty, rotten sinner, there is a way to be loved and accepted. And you're, in fact, you're invited into this place. But it's not a location or a ritual that you have to do or even do hard work. But there is a place to worship in deep relational intimacy. There is a place in the heart where deep speaks to deep and we groan with pain and suffering, anxiously waiting for a promised day of full freedom. Let's see if I can bring this up again. John 4.24 says, For God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. We have access to this deep relationship in our soul through the work of the Holy Spirit. And we don't have to go anywhere or do anything in the sense of having to make the standard. He's here dwelling in us. And just to clarify something, deeper isn't about you get more spiritual gifts. Deeper is the Spirit revealing the Father and the Son to us. It's not about us. It's about the Father and the Son, which the Holy Spirit is revealing to us. If you haven't worked out, the story that I was just talking about was the woman at the well from John 4. But it's also our story. The woman at the well experienced the twofold action of the Spirit. Jesus reveals he knows her broken relationships, her five divorces, and the shame of a stuffed-up life. And yet she goes running into a town of people, uh, all excited, who already think that she's um, nothing. And she's excitedly, excitedly crying out, Come meet a man who told me all my sin. Whoopee. <laughs> Come meet a man who is going to tell you how bad you are. Come meet a man who told me everything I ever did 
can't meet a man who knows everything about me. And he still says that I can ask for living water. There's a way that's not through the Jewish system. There's a way that's not just doing church. There is a way that you can go deep into the heart of God. Where the Spirit ministers to our hearts and minds and our very beings. Do you want this living water where you no longer thirst? Where you know the acceptance of being a true child of the Father? It's what we long for, isn't it? That true intimacy. And yet we spend more time doing church instead of just reading God's word and seeing the way the Spirit reveals the Father in the song. It's not about our obedience to the law. It's about time with the Father, which the Holy Spirit reveals. That's the message that transformed my life. And yet this twofold message is scoffed at. Derek and I hear quite often, don't tell me about my sin because I'm a new creation. I don't sin anymore. I don't need to repent. Don't tell me what Jesus has done. I already know it. Don't you know you're talking to the converted? I've called it a twofold message because I didn't know what else to call it. But Tim Keller says this. Sorry about that. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the same, very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. This is what the Spirit does. It reveals to us our incredible amount of flaws and at the same time reveals that we are more loved than we could ever imagine. And the Spirit continues to reveal the cross and all that that has accomplished. And this revelation of Jesus and what he has done in 2 Corinthians 5 says, For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died, and he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. I'm going to read Romans 8 in light of what the Spirit does, but I'm going to pray first. Father, may we understand these words from Romans 8 through your spirit with all your wisdom and bring us light and life and freedom through the work of Christ. And I pray this in Jesus' name. So as I read, listen out for the work that the spirit does. I don't know if you realise, but I actually highlighted um, the word spirit in there just because sometimes we skip over it. There's actually, I'm reading 14 verses and there's 13 times that the Spirit is mentioned. Therefore, 
there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's the second part of the twofold thing. And I talked about the, the sin that was revealed to us. And then the second part is we're told there's no condemnation for those in Christ. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that, right, that the righteous requirement of the Lord might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's laws, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of, God, of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness, which is pointing to what Jesus has done. And if the life of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. I'd encourage you over the next uh, three weeks to read Romans 8 and look at the work of the Spirit there because it's often when we talk about the Holy Spirit... Often we jump to passages which speak of, of the gifts of the Spirit and things like that, whereas this passage, as Jody pointed out, well, in the whole book of Romans for the first seven chapters, he mentioned the Holy Spirit four times. And then 20 times in just this little passage, you uh, get the work of the Spirit, but may not be the way that we often understand it. Now, so uh, we're looking in three sections. Really, the, uh, this week we're talking about the work of the Spirit with regard to salvation and the Christian life. Next week we're looking at the, the work of the Spirit with regard to uh, the fatherhood of God, the family of God. Uh, and the, the third week we're looking, surprisingly, at the power of the Holy Spirit in weakness. That's in our weakness. Um, but understand this, quite simply, the Father has a plan for all of creation from the beginning. And that includes uh, the world and all the people for what they were created for. Then sin entered the world, but his plan included redemption, the salvation of all things, and then the renewal of all things at the end. 
And in the beginning, God spoke and Jesus, the word of God was there, but the Holy Spirit was hovering over the, over the waters, creating. And then, so the father had a plan, Jesus, uh, which was his son, to send his son to save us. Jesus delighted to do the father's work and came and he died for our sins. He brought forgiveness. But the Holy Spirit is the one who takes all that Jesus did in the Father's plan and he brings it to us and he brings it to life and makes it real. Do you understand? If you've experienced anything of God, that's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes to us and brings us all that fullness. He applies the Father's work. He applies the Son's work to our lives. He brings it. He makes it real. And we come to faith and we live by faith. And that's all by the Spirit. If you understand that you've been forgiven, the Holy Spirit's brought you that knowledge. If you know God as Father, the Holy Spirit's brought you that knowledge. If you can say, I'm a Christian, the Holy Spirit's brought you that knowledge. You understand? He brings us everything we know. And I always seem to say this, but I'm going to say it once more. Just to understand this, the Holy Spirit is a person. He is not a power. He has power, but he is not simply power. Simple proof of that is... You can grieve the Holy Spirit. You cannot grieve a power company. <laughs> if you don't pay your bill, maybe you would. But um, you understand, we don't use the Holy Spirit. We don't channel the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay, He has a will. And he leads us into that will. He is not there just to do our will. He leads us to desire God's will. The Holy Spirit also, it doesn't have an ego as we have egos. So he gives glory to the Father. He gives glory to the Son. He's always glorifying the other members of the Trinity, but surprisingly, um, they are doing the same. The humility of God is incredible. And it's strange for humans because often when we talk about the Holy Spirit... We are talking about things which are kind of egocentric. Give me the gifts of the Spirit so you can see what gifts I have so that I can be known as someone who's wonderful rather than the humility that it is to live the Christian life in, in uh, the image of the God who is all humble. I hope that makes sense. When the Holy Spirit comes, it says... He will come, he will convict, this is John 8, 16, 8. He will convict the world of sin, of righteousness and judgment. And as Jody pointed out, what an incredible miracle it is of the Holy Spirit to bring us the knowledge of sin, the knowledge of righteousness, the knowledge of judgment to come. So the Holy Spirit has, uh, today we're focusing on his role in salvation and in the Christian life. I don't know if we've seen this ad on TV about Toyotas. I'm not much into Toyotas, but they had them. And there's this sticker on the dashboard and it's on the windscreen. And he looks at it and he said, Oh, sticker, it's so wonderful. It says, fixed services for the first five years, set price, blah, blah, blah. Yep, you know the one. And um, he said, that sticker's so good it came with a Toyota. And um, it's kind of a joke, but... Wouldn't we love it if you got a new car and that car had a guaranteed maintenance condition 
that forever it was going to be maintained to the same condition that you bought it in. Now that's what you want. That's what he's saying. I want a car like that. It's just going to be maintained to perfection. It's never going to run down. It's never going to get old. Yep. What the Holy Spirit does, he brings us our salvation and he maintains that salvation. He keeps it in order so that you're born to be a new creation by the Spirit, born of the Spirit, and he maintains you to that standard. You don't sort of rust. Your spiritual life never gets old. It, it, the Holy Spirit brings a, a newness of life which remains a newness of life. You've got a sticker yep, that's worth more than a Toyota, even more than a Ford. Okay, that's surprising to know. So what, is the, what does the Holy Spirit bring us? He brings us a new start. He brings us new desires. He brings us new behaviour, new deeds. He brings us new hope. This is all in this passage. When he comes to us, he shows us the heart of life. He turns life on its head. Repentance means a turnaround. When he brings us conviction of sin and righteousness, he, he ta- everything we were running towards, he says, he, just, he highlights in our life, you know what, that's just not that important. But this relationship with the Father is everything. And coming to him through Jesus is everything. So he completely turns our life around. So he's more, it's not just he comes to you and gives you a, a tack on, a bit of an extra zeal in life. He actually changes everything. New start, new desires, new behaviour, new hope. The Holy Spirit turns the table. He turns the Christian life from trifles, not trifles as in jelly and cake and stuff, but the trifling things of life, the small things which can uh, hold us, the, the pleasant activities, the hobbies, the things that we put our hope in, the pacifiers of life. And the world is full of pacifiers. They kind of just keep us busy. But when the Holy Spirit comes into us, we long for substance. We long for depth. We long for things that last. I don't know if you ever sit there. We enjoy watching the tennis. You enjoy watching the tennis? You can waste at the moment what, 18 hours a day watching the tennis. But every now and again you think, you know, there's more to life than this, chasing a little ball around. Yeah, There's more to it than that. I'm not saying tennis is evil. There's nothing wrong with tennis. But there is a depth. And we can, be, we can be overcome by the trifles of life, the trifling things. And, and the Holy Spirit says, yeah, 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 yeah. But look at the things of God. He changed our heart and we long for those things. And we get bored with the little things, don't we? Okay, better get to the passage. Uh, so throughout this passage, the new desires, new hope, new actions, new, new, new all that, yep. He started by saying, therefore, there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit has, who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. The Spirit has set you free from the law of sin and death by applying the cross and the resurrection to your life. 
The old law, that sin and death, is not the new law. The new law is the spirit who is life. And this life is a deep life. It's a substantial life. It starts in justification, as Paul's laid that out really carefully at the start of Romans. He saves us. There is no condemnation. There is no guilt. Can you really believe that? No condemnation, no guilt. All gone. Well, if you have the Holy Spirit, you can. You hear that and you go, yippee. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, you think, well, I hope it'll work out all right. There's a chance that God won't be mad with me. But the Holy Spirit says, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. By the Spirit, the condemnation, the guilt is gone. Once and for all. What an incredible gift. Peace in Christ. Holy Spirit working in you, which is worth more than even 21 grand slams. Which never seems to happen for males, just females. And all the money in the world. Do you understand? The Holy Spirit brings a new life and he empowers you then to walk in the new life. That's kind of what people sometimes call sanctification. He, is, he, he washes you and he goes on washing you. He empowers you to believe in Jesus and he goes on empowering you to walk the life of faith. He shows you forgiveness. He goes on showing you forgiveness. And so in verse 4 he says, And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh but according to the spirit. We don't live according to the flesh or the sinful nature anymore. We live according to the spirit. So that means the spirit gives us power to live the Christian life. I was talking to a friend uh, last night and uh, he's not a Christian. And to hear the power that sin has over him, it is distressing. It hurts to hear that. Without the Holy Spirit, we do not have power over our actions. We do not have power over our thoughts. We do not have power over desires. We cannot do good. It is not within our grasp, ever. Paul makes this really clear. Listen to this. This is verse 7. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh or the sinful nature cannot please God. It can't happen. But the Holy Spirit brings us to a life where we can please God. Where we can powerfully walk in the ways of God. We can have a purity. I was trying to think of, you see, the the word holy, it's almost impossible to define it without talking in the negative. God is holy, which means he doesn't do this. He never does this. He's never like this. We we define holy by unholiness. But the word pure is, is, is is a beautiful word. We have pure desires. Pure. Nothing is dark, but absolutely perfect. In Romans 8, 5, he says, Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live accordance with, in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The Spirit desires life for you, and our minds, by the power of the Holy Spirit, are set on what he, de- he, he desires for us, and he desires us to walk the way of God to follow Jesus and to live in purity. 
Now, purity is not something we often feel. Do you often feel pure? Often we feel dirty. But I just want to say, looking back, he justified you, he completely cleansed you, and he goes on cleansing you, and the Holy Spirit keeps bringing this cleansing to you, so you are pure. Psalm 24 says this, Who may ascend to the mountain of God? Who may stand in his holy place? Who may approach God in his throne? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart. The one who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false god, they will receive blessing from God and vindication from God, their saviour. Who can enter the presence of God? The one with clean hands and a pure heart. And the Holy Spirit comes to us and says, guess what? That's you. How are we holy? Well, understand, we know that if, it, if we're talking about our own works and our own things and our own idols, we're never going to make it. But he purifies our heart and he washes us. Uh, Paul says this in Galatians 3. He says, that's in Titus 3, he saved us through the washing of rebirth. Washing is sanctifying. Washing of new birth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. Renewal by the Holy Spirit. To what? To purity. Whom he poured out on us generously through Christ Jesus, our Saviour. He poured out on us a little bit and then we can lose the Holy Spirit? No, he pours out the Holy Spirit generously and the Holy Spirit brings us all of the fullness of God. A pure heart he gives us. That's why in Titus 1.15 he says, To the pure... All things are pure. If he's purified you, all things are pure. But to those who are corrupted and do not believe, nothing is pure. In fact, their minds and consciences are corrupted. So the Holy Spirit, understand, he has washed you, but he goes on washing you. Do you believe that? Because if you can believe that, you can put up your hand and say, I am holy. You must be, because the Holy Spirit lives in you. Yeah? Does the Holy Spirit live in you? If he lives in you, you must be holy. And then Paul has this word, or uh, well, the New Testament does, for Christians. They're called saints. Do you know what the word saints means? Holy ones. Purified ones. Saints. God's children. Washed. With the Holy Spirit living in them. Pure. Better than if you put in a washing machine with 48 kilos of OMO. You are pure. Yep, completely washed. Can, can you hear the Spirit saying, speaking that word to you this morning? You are pure. Can you have faith in it? Can you believe in it? Verse uh, 6 and 7 says, The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. So you hear that? The mind governed by the Spirit, ruled over by the Spirit. He is ruling over our life, and it is life and peace. He controls our minds, giving us life and peace, and causing us not to live in hostility with God, not to fight against God's commands. Now, I've got some homework for you. So I want you to remember this. You write it in your phones now. You're allowed to pull out your phone. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I want you to read it carefully. It's, it starts off fin- uh, by finishing the work of Christ. Then it talks about 
all of the mind of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit comes to us and he reveals the deep things of God and the truth of God and all that he's done for us. And it finishes by this. It says, and we have the mind of Christ. The Holy Spirit brings us the mind of Christ. Our whole past is cleansed. Our memories are cleansed. We have a new start, a new hope, a new future. No longer are we under hostility to God, under his wrath. We have everything new. So 1 Corinthians 2. Great passage. Uh, in chapter eight, verse, Romans 8, verse 9, You are, however, not in the realm of the flesh, but, but are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of Christ, God lives in you. If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. Do you believe in Jesus? I'm asking that. You have the Holy Spirit. They just said that. If you don't have the Spirit of Christ, you don't belong to Christ. When you put faith in Christ, you have the Holy Spirit. Some people say, oh yeah, there's a two-step Christianity. Right? You become a Christian and you kind of get a, well, just a sprinkling of the Holy Spirit. But later on you get a whole pouring of the Holy Spirit if you do things right and get yourself really good. How good are you going to get yourself? Yeah, I remember reading an old book about, uh, it was called Baptism of the Spirit when I was first a Christian. and It went through, there's about 17 things you had to do to receive the Holy Spirit fully and you had to confess your sins. And I kept thinking, I don't know if I can confess enough because I keep remembering more and I keep doing things more. And they they had this analogy, the Holy Spirit will never pour himself into a dirty glass. And I'm thinking, my glass is dirty. I'm dirty. No, you see, justification, you are pure through Christ. You can receive the pure Holy Spirit and you can live in purity because of him. And when you sin, he goes on washing you. What incredible assurance that is. Are you in Christ? You are washed. You have the Holy Spirit. It's all there for you. All of the gifts of God are there. What a miraculous work of the Holy Spirit. A worn out, broken down sinner, continues in sin, belongs to Christ, is filled with the Holy Spirit. That's me. Okay. And verse, eight, verse 11 says, And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of the spirit who lives in you. He gives us life in the present. He animates us. And again, I'll say, he drives us away from the things that are unimportant to the things. And, you know, we can try. Sometimes I, I can get really good at focusing on something which is not God. And after a while, it just gets boring or old or something about it. And that's the Holy Spirit. He will not, he, he's not happy with me not having all the fullness of God. He keeps drawing us back to fullness. And... If he gives life to our mortal bodies, the spirit who lives in us, he means he drives us to do good works. We said before, if you're living by the flesh, you cannot do good works. But when you live by the spirit, you do good works. And we can easily underestimate the power of the works that we do. Oh, I said a few words to so-and-so. I should have said more. I should have done more. I, I helped them out, but I, I never mentioned Jesus. You see... Uh, we always feel inadequate in the works that we do. But you see, if the Holy Spirit takes those works 
empowers them, takes those words we say and empowers them, and he makes them rich and full. Do you get what I'm saying? He, he brings them to life. We do good works. The Holy Spirit's at work in us. Verse 13, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if the Spirit, if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. By the Spirit, we put to death misdeeds. What are misdeeds? Bad stuff we do. The Spirit is working to get rid of bad stuff, bad action, sin in your life. You can't put to death those misdeeds yourself. It says, if by the Spirit you put... You need God's help. Without Him, you can't do it. It's, one of those, it's that strange thing where uh, the Holy Spirit, you know, one of the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. Now, self-control is about us, isn't it? We have self-control, except for it's a fruit of the Spirit. The Spirit empowers us to self-control. Or uh, Paul also says in uh, 2, 2 Timothy 1.7, For the Spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline or self-control. Where does your self-discipline come from? Come on, pull yourself together. It comes from the Holy Spirit who working in us. And he also gives us love because we're pretty unloving sometimes, aren't we? We look at people and go, oh, not them again. Yeah? And, and, God, and, and then God gives us compassion and a heart for others. And, and, we, and we, we go back to people. We love them. They come from the Spirit. The self-discipline of walking by faith comes from the Spirit. And it's a great miracle. But it takes power. All of the power of God. Okay, I'll, I'm just, I'll say it again. You see, often when we talk about the Holy Spirit, we're thinking about like something like a caffeine hit, something maybe even a methamphetamine hit, where we are super-powered. But the work of the Holy Spirit here, this power is about the release in our lives of the fullness of God for the forgiveness of sins and living the Christian life as he calls us to. And it's incredible. So Paul prays this in, in Ephesians 3. Is that we often quote this prayer, but hear about the power he's talking about that comes from the Holy Spirit. What is all of that power needed for? For this reason, he says, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of, the glorious, out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you have all the power of God so that Christ may live in your heart by faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power. Together with all the Lord's holy people. What do you need this power for? To grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge. That you may be filled to the measure of all of the fullness of God. Through the Holy Spirit. You see, he brings us all that Christ has done. And it's a powerful act. And we finish with... Verse 14, and I'm not going to dismiss this, I'm just, this is introducing next week. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. Those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. 
It's going to be a great week. Adopted into the family. Adopted to be like Christ, our brother. Changed to be like his children. But for now, it's enough to say. The Holy Spirit gives us a new start, doesn't he? He gives us a whole new desires. He gives us new actions and deeds and good works. And all of that brings us a new hope. We don't need anything else. I'm going to pray. Father, I pray that all that we have spoken of, the fullness that comes through Christ, the fullness that comes through your spirit, that you bring that to us. That you bring it to us now. That we would know just how blessed we are. That we would know just how wonderful it is to be your children, cleansed and washed, renewed and absolutely pure. I pray that your Holy Spirit would show us the holiness we have in Christ. That we are the holy ones. That we are your children. And Father, renew our hope where we've got slack and wandered off to the left and to the right, that we will pull back onto the main road and head straight, fixing our eyes on Jesus. That your Holy Spirit would cause our minds to focus on him. That we'd be brought alive in prayer, in reading the scriptures, and in just knowing you in the depths of our being. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.